Hey all, Tyler here. Before we get started on today's episode, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to our pals Ian and Casey over at the E-Ticket Gazette. The E-Ticket Gazette is a podcast that talks about anything and everything Disney Parks related, and they actually just had us on to talk about Muppet Vision 3D as part of their month-long celebration of Disney California Adventures 20th anniversary. We had a lot of fun talking with them about the show, plus it was a fun outlet to share a lot of our theme park opinions. The episode will be out sometime this week, but they still have a very good catalog of episodes that we highly recommend checking out. And now, on with the show. Welcome everyone to another episode of Channel KRT. I'm Tyler Green and I cannot think of a single train pun right now. Sorry guys. I suppose you lost track. Hey oh I'm Kit Quinn, or as you know me in many circles, Mr. Conductor. Actually no circles at all. <laughs> I'm Randy Martin and uh I like trains. And the male voice you heard chime in earlier is our very special guest today. You know him as the creator of Railways of Crotunia. You know him from his Twitter feed, at the Milan Tuner. Ladies and gentlemen, Milan Prusha. Hello, I am here. I am the local train nerd. Be prepared. I know way too fucking much about cartoons and trains. A dangerous combination. We live for trivia and histories here, so you are 100% gonna fit in. And you're really in the right place today, considering today's topic, Shining Time Station, one of my favorite childhood shows. So what is everyone's relationship with the show? I'm gonna be honest with y'all, I am going in a total Shining Time virgin. This is the only Shining Time thing I've ever- Was Shining Time in the fucking time? Thomas movie? Yeah, it was. It was an afterthought in the Thomas movie, but it was there. Yeah, so aside from Thomas and the Magic Railroad, this is pretty much the only Shining Time thing I've ever seen. So my thoughts on this are going to be from the thoughts of someone who has never watched Shining Time before. And then for me, I'm just kind of like right in between because as you guys might have guessed, if you've looked around my Twitter and seen an unhealthy amount of talking trains, I grew up pretty much from birth as a massive Thomas fan, but I never actually watched Shining Time grow up because I was a 99 kid. So I grew up with the Magic Railroad movie, which was pretty much like they made it from the table scraps of plans for a Shining Time movie. And then it kind of ended up its own kind of beast. But I would always have like some of the older tapes and they would have stuff like stories as seen on Shining Time Station. And I'd always be like, huh, wonder what's that? And then years later, I actually watched it and I'm like, shit, this slaps. <laughs> I fucking loved this show as a kid. Everyone went through a Thomas phase. I watched a lot of Shining Time Station, as you could tell, just by that alone. I'm pretty sure I watched it on both Fox Family and Nick Jr., because I know it used to air on those two at the time. And there was a period where I forgot about the show. And then when I was in, like, fifth grade or something, I, on a whim, just remembered the show existed. And I just binged whatever scraps of the show there was on YouTube because this was back in the days where you had like half of the episode catalog and like three parts. Now the whole show's on there and just one single part and it's just so fun to revisit it now as an adult, honestly. Hell yeah. So I'm pretty much in a similar boat because I was definitely a huge Thomas kid. I remember that my brother and I used to get the toys all the time. It was kind of one of our bonding things to kind of build the sets together and kind of set up little trains and kind of tell our own little stories with it. And we'd always get so excited whenever a VHS came with one of the play sets because we were like, heck yeah, now we can get some inspiration or whatever we thought of it in kids' terms. (laughs) In fact, 
it was so strong that there was a point in my life where I rented the Thomas movie from Blockbuster for like oh almost God. two months straight. <laughs> in fact, we almost lost the tape because I was renting it that much. Oh, my <laughs> no. God. So I almost ended up keeping it unintentionally. <laughs> you thief. <laughs> that movie is such a train wreck, but I kind of love it. <laughs> uh, train wreck. It's a beautiful train wreck. It's a train wreck that's like, it's bad, but it's like, you look and there's like, well, some of that train looks okay. It didn't come out that bad. A couple of them are kind of straggled along the ditch there, but you know, it's it, it's still okay. It just bewilders me that somebody thought it was a good idea to make Alec fucking Baldwin Mr. Conductor. We had like George Carlin and Ringo Starr playing the narrator, so it's kind of like... Might as well. Give it a go. Have some fun. Fuck it. Like, at least with George Carlin, he had the excuse that him being an asshole was just an onstage persona. What's Alec Baldwin's excuse? Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. You got us there. <laughs> Mr. Conductor does a fucking bad Trump impression for four oh, years. No. <laughs> How's he going to pay for Netflix now that he doesn't got that? Oh, God. Stop <laughs> it before Kate McKinnon comes in. Stop him before he starts bothering Liz Lemon. <laughs> Please, no, I don't want to see any more of Kate McKinnon in a really bad wig. <laughs> this just in, Keenan Thompson is the longest running Mr. Conductor. <laughs> 2016 was horrible. 2016 was a dark time. I will say this, at least Thomas and the Magic Railroad made it so that there was at least some presence of Shining Time, but it was sort of just like an afterthought. Because it's interesting because there was actually going to be a Shining Time movie early on. And I think that's what they initially oh, yeah. signed up for when wow. they signed up for Paramount. And then I guess because everyone was kind of doing their own thing and Shining Time's not as big an international theme, I think when the movie actually went into production, it was just kind of like, fuck it, let's do Thomas. Thomas and then some characters from Shining Time and then... More original characters. Yeah, and then I remember it was also my introduction to Mara Wilson. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, Mara, if I ever meet you, I'm so sorry this was the first thing I ever saw you in and not Matilda and Mrs. Doubtfire. Though I did eventually watch Matilda after it, so yay. <laughs> it could be worse. It could be a simple wish. Oh, God. <laughs> Mara, on the off chance you listen to this podcast, we're so fucking sorry. Well, she retweeted you once, so... She did retweet me once! Hell yeah. Yes! That is probably one of my biggest brags since getting blocked by Davi Vanity. It's actually funny because I... Well, I've never met her, and I don't really know her, but I know one of her friends, Alessandra Dreyer, who goes by Bad Folklorist on Twitter. She's kind of a well-known mattress saleswoman, and she's the wife of David Gansel Doggins, so... Aww. And I love them. That's my lame claim to fame. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I have met one of the voice actors from yeah. Magic Railroad. Ooh, really? Ooh, nice. I met Linda Ballantine. I hope I got her last name right, because she visited for a local Comic-Con, and I asked her about Magic Railroad, and I remember her asking, like, is Alec Baldwin still Mr. Conductor? And I was like, oh, they kind of got a few different narrators. And I think, because Pierce Brosnan, he was supposed to do it for a lengthy amount of time, but then he was just a guest for a movie, because that's when they switched to CG for the TV series. And she, and I'm not sure who it was next to her, I'll have to double check, but her partner next to her for the panels and stuff, she was like, oh my god, Pierce Brosnan? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, it's Pierce Brosnan. He narrated a whole goddamn Thomas movie at one point. Just a whole movie where it's just like, 
Hello, I'm Pierce Brosnan, and I'm narrating Thomas the Tank Engine. Pip-pip-chidio. Dude, Thomas <laughs> was very cross, or whatever the fuck it is they say in these things. <laughs> <laughs> one last thing that the Thomas movie did, one big betrayal they did was not having Tom Jackson return as Billy Two Feathers. Like, that man is iconic as Billy. This show has some really good Native American representation in Billy Two Feathers. I love that he's just a character. He's not some magical bullshit or, like, some stereotype. He's genuinely a well-fleshed-out character, and Tom Jackson is amazing. Thank the fuck God. I've had it with this woobified Pocahontas shit. Yeah, because it's just, like, it's with any stereotyping, too. It's, like, whether you're trying to do, like, you know race or gender or anything like that it's always kind of like whoa check it out this character is gay did you know that this character is gay we're going to continually remind you because that's our rep because we can't compensate for good content we're not actually gonna put them in a gay relationship or anything we can't show that we're just gonna casually mention the cyclops has a girlfriend nope you you only have to know that they're gay through either casual mentions or gross stereotypes no relationships, no. Honestly, the only time they did this well was with How to Train Your Dragon, because at the least they showed him getting with a guy at the in the third oh, yeah. one, so... Yeah, that was really cute. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, in a show that I'm sure features way more gay <laughs> characters. <laughs> Midge and Ginny, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Listen, any fanfiction that makes James straight is homophobic, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Especially when Alec did the voice. Absolutely. <laughs> No one in Thomas the Tank Engine is cishet. Change my mind. <laughs> You're not wrong, except for Toby and Henrietta. We gotta stand the married couple. Yes, they're both by. <laughs> and we were getting into the cast a little bit, too, as you mentioned Tom Jackson. We already mentioned the Mr. Conductors, which, goddamn, that is a hell of a get. Yes. One thing I really wanted to mention about George Carlin especially, it's kind of yeah, as easy as it is to make like haha, world's edgiest comedian in a kid's show jokes. He seemed to really love doing this show. I watched this clip that was a reading by his brother Patrick from one of his last books he ever wrote about his time on Shining Time Station and he talked about how When I ran into one of these kids at the airport and the parents would say, that's him, that's him, go over and say hello. The child was always completely fucking traumatized. I was out of uniform and way too big. I had to say gently, I'm not on the island of Sodor. I'm not working today, but I am Mr. Conductor. Then that wonderful look would come on the child's face. What the fuck is going on? And it seems like he genuinely really loved making kids happy. And it really shows how just what a kind, empathetic person he was and how his edgy persona was always coming only at people who really deserved it, not the anger of the world. George Carlin was always a punch-up kind of dude. Like, he was edgy as shit, but he always punched up. Yeah, any edgelord who fucking tries to use him as, yeah, he would have denounced PC fuck culture, you. he would no, tell he these wouldn't. people to go fuck themselves. Yeah, because I think one of my favorite quotes from him, I think it was when he was discussing, like, feminism, like, the kind that do, like, you know, shoulder pads and suits and stuff. He said, I like to make fun of any group that takes themselves a little too seriously. And it's just like, when people would be like, yeah, he wouldn't vote. He wouldn't be afraid of the coronavirus. It'd be like, he literally said in one of his things, what are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid shit? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick, you're going to uh, die, and you're going to deserve it because you're fucking weak and you got a fucking weak immune system. George, help, it happened. 
Why couldn't we have him now? He'd tell people to just wear a mask. I also love his Aristocats. Uh, Aristocats? <laughs> Arist- Everybody wants to be a fucking cat. Everyone wants to be a goddamn fucking cat. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a pussy. But anyway, I really love his joke in the Aristocrats documentary where he's, he's telling his Aristocrats joke. And at one point he's like, it's always important to still make sure you're being careful and making sure to know how your joke may come across. And it's just, God, I miss him. He was just a fucking king. My favorite George Carlin routine is when he comes up with this thing called Slugfest. And basically what it is is that he wants to gather like 100,000 macho muscle men and just put them inside like a giant fucking arena and they just all start beating the shit out of each other and they're all on PCP and whiskey. And then at the end, the winner is put on a pedestal and then he's shot right in the head. I fucking love that bit. Oh my god. George Carlin was so fucking ahead of his time. He was. <laughs> and then there was some guy named Ringo on the show for like a season, but nobody cares about him. Yeah, he did like a season or two. He was in some like obscure British band no one's heard of, I think. He wrote a song called A, a Garden with like a squid or something. It's yeah. <laughs> He's kind of obscure. No one really knows what he did before this. I think his vegetables were the beets that he had in his garden. I gotta double check. I don't know. Also, we gotta mention Didi Khan as Stacey Jones because yes. she she nails it. Yes. She is amazing as Stacey. She's just got such a nice, kind persona and she's just so lively and funny. And I, God, I, we don't deserve Didi Khan. And this is the second PBS show with a Grease connection. My God. Because she was Frenchy in that movie. And the actor who played Duty, Barry Pearl, was Professor Tinkerpot on Barney. Oh my god. Oh, fuck, no escape. <laughs> you can't escape me. I'll plague your dreams. <laughs> Professor Tinkerpot deserved a spinoff. God damn it. <laughs> Professor Tinkerpot will have his day on Channel KRT. I'm just saying. One quick note I should probably mention. We unfortunately lost the woman who played Stella the Storyteller, Phyllis Cicero, oh, today. Shit. That was a huge blow. She was amazing. Yeah, she was great. Rest in power. Yes. <laughs> so he's not in this season. He left after the first season. But one of the kids on this show was a young Jason Warner, who's known for his work on Human Giant. But he's also the director of fucking Borat subsequent movie film. What? Oh my fucking god! Yeah, that's him! Oh shit! <laughs> he helped with Rudy Giuliani's downfall! So this kid went from hanging out with a miniature Ringo star to exposing Rudy Giuliani for being a creep. We fucking stand. Yes, fucking king. But the healthy kind of stand. This guy helped us get video of Rudy Giuliani with his hand in his pants. I don't know whether I love or hate him for that. <laughs> and he was also on a couple episodes of Podcast The Ride, which go check those episodes out. They're very good. Hell yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have Brian O'Connor as Schemer. And I'm not going to lie. I love him, but I also hate him. As we'll later get into, because... I love to hate him. I love him because he's such, like, a... He's just got such great comic talent coming out of every orifice. But Schemer's a dick, man. Just... So once again, I'm coming... This is coming from my I've never seen Shining Time before this perspective. Is Schemer an antagonist or a protagonist? How am I supposed... To, I'm so confused. A am I supposed to like him... Or am I supposed to hate this motherfucker? Anti-hero. 
He's kind of like a like to not like kind of guy, but also kind of like so silly enough that you can't not like him in some ways. Is he supposed to be kind of like Robbie Rotten or something? Best connection I can think of. Yes. Maybe Oscar too on top of that, because definitely, while Oscar's not a villain, definitely kind of that antagonistic behavior. So (laughs) that's just delightful. And also no disrespect to Brian O'Connor, because like I said, he is an amazing comic actor. He doesn't really do acting anymore. He's kind of got like a side gig in music now, but he is just so talented in the show. And I think I like him best out of anyone else on this show that isn't George Carlin. I think he's a teacher now or something. He did reprise Schemer for like a fan movie that came out recently called Magic Railroad. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I saw that. He wasn't in the original Magic Railroad because you knew he would have beaten that original villain P.T. Boomer's ass. I've got that shit on Blu-ray. I mean, the parody sets it up so that Schemer apparently went to jail after Shining Time Station, and I believe it. (laughs) Listen, tell me that would not be the logical scenario to go with it. Schemer ended up getting arrested for tax fraud. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, and you should say it. I mean, what Schemer does in this episode could be considered a crime, so... There was the one episode, Schemer's Alone, a.k.a. One of the top five Shining Time episodes. His mom goes out of town for the night, and then he's pretty much left alone, and he's just like, Look at this list of stuff that she wants me to do. Look at this thing. Take out the trash, make your bed, say please and thank you. I mean, what does she think I am? Some kind of mature adult? And he gets a bunch of people (laughs) to help him and stuff, but he doesn't pay them. He gives them IOUs. Like, he'll get a sheet of paper and just be like, IOU for this, and it's... (laughs) Schemer just goes into massive fucking debt, and he's just like... Schemer is that one commissioner that artist dread. Speaking of that episode, there is a specific moment in that that I remember the most. Uh, so fun fact, Jerry Parks was a recurring character on this show. Fucking Doc from oh Fraggle my God. Rock. Oh, the shit. legend. Yes. So when I learned that, my jaw dropped. I was like, holy shit, the king himself, Jerry Parks. He gets a moment in this episode because he plays like a general store owner called Barton Winslow. And his gimmick was like, he's got this motorcycle. And whenever he gets on, he gets this like 50s kind of lingo, like groovy dude. And he comes in on a motorcycle (laughs) and he's got like this fucking butler cart with him. Just just being (laughs) gently pulled along by the motorcycle. And he brings in this like fucking frothing at the mouth level platter food. It's, It's like triple beef cowboy burgers and then just like pistachio popsicles and then chips and stuff and i'm like i'm really craving barbecue right now uh tex-mex he did not have sprocket with him zero stars (laughs) i also fucking love at the end how his mom is basically returning home and she's like all right you owe everybody all of these gamer you fucking bastard (laughs) okay let's be honest for a second you can't tell me that schemer's mom doesn't have the urge to just smother him with a pillow in his sleep Schemer comes off as that kid in school that the teachers forced you to be friends with, but he was just fucking intolerable. And not to spoil this episode, but he is a fucking incel in this <laughs> he episode. He really is, though. Yeah, it's like, ooh. I believe we're talking about the, ha- the hour-long specials, which I can give some history for, if we want to introduce that. So, basically what happened, to kind of give some history for Shining Time, to kind of explain, so what's this sh- random-ass show about a train station and then Thomas the Tank Engine doing here? So basically how Shining Time kind of came about and how we're getting to the point of the episode we'll be talking about. Shining Time actually started off as a series based on a series of books in Britain called the Railway Series. 
And the show, and of course, we all know it now, was Thomas and Friends, or was it was known back then as Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, the infinitely cooler title, but, you know, doesn't go so well for, you know, catalogs and stuff. So it was created by this woman called Britt Alcroft who optioned the rights from a British reverend called the Reverend W. Audrey, Wilbur Audrey, and they produced two seasons of this. What made it unique was, it, unlike a lot of shows which are usually like, you know, puppets or some kind of animation or live action, Thomas was kind of like an interesting in-between because they shot remote control trains, to give you an idea of the scale, kind of like as big as those Christmas tree trains that you would get, like the ones you usually see in stores and stuff. And they would rig them up with like eye mechanisms and smoke and clay faces that they could switch out, build these giant ass sets, and then just film them in like 35 millimeter, I think it was at the time. And they did that for two seasons and it became a hit in Britain and a couple other places, you know, got a little bit of merchandising. But the USA, that's, you know, where the big money bags start to come in and when you can really start to go crazy with licensing. And of course, Japan. <laughs> oh yeah, this show exploded in Japan. Like, they, they got the first Thomas Park in 98, and it looks... F they got an art director from... Like, the the art director from the first seven seasons, and it looks f fucking incredible. I wish I could go there. Oh, my God, but, yes. But it's <laughs> oh, Japan, you get everything better than we do. I'm not salty at all about Tokyo Disney Sea being in a country I'm not allowed to go to right now. But there was a problem in translating Thomas from, you know, good old Britain over to America. Because where they were aiming was PBS, which I don't know if it's real. Like, obviously, it's the only kids channel standing now because, you know, Cubo's about to fucking die. But basically, PBS was kind of like public access, all the markets. That's the one you want to go for. So they approached Channel 13. But the problem was they had 52 five-minute episodes. The first season, I think, was aired as 13 11-minute episodes with two stories each. And then for the second season, they repackaged it as just five-minute episodes because, you know, Britain's kind of like that. So it's kind of like, how do we take 26 11-minute episodes and stretch that out to a bunch of 28-minute episodes? So I think she worked with one of the producers at Channel 13 called Rick Segalo. I believe that's his name, if I remember that right. Oh, Rick Sigelkow, yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, he does have a knack for bringing shows across the pond because he also was the executive producer of a little show called Naughty Shop. Holy shit! Oh yeah, I've heard about that. I've met one of the puppeteers on that. Ooh, really? Naughty Shop is actually kind of structured similarly to Shining Time Station because it's similar to how this show structures around Thomas the Tank Engine. That's structured around the Naughty cartoons. I've been watching it, but I have, I've met one of the puppeteers. He is a very nice fellow. But back to the history. So she worked with him to create Shining Time Station, which was basically wraparound stuff. And what was ingenious about it was, obviously it was meant to usher in Thomas into America. But what worked was, when Thomas first came to, like in terms of merchandise, it was all like Shining Time branding. So it was like Shining Time Station. And I've actually got some of the original packaging over here from the diecast toys by Erdle. So it was like Shining Ooh, Time Station okay. and Thomas the Tank Engine. But what worked with it was it wasn't just like, hey, check it out. Thomas is on video. Stories of Cena Shining Time. They eventually merchandised Shining Time as well. So you had Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, yeah, that's right. One big brand. And then Shining Time Station as another brand. So it was like double the money. Get the George Carlin Bendems. So they did... I think Ringo was on the first season because he did the first two seasons of Thomas. And then he got poochied. Yeah, he, he had to go work on some... He did a Christmas special, I think. With Lloyd Bridges, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lloyd Bridges was a Santa in that episode. And that was the first... I think that was the first one. I haven't seen it in full, but that was the... 
but it was like the first time they kind of tested that format. So George came in for season three, and then they did a whole bunch of episodes for that. So they did 65 episodes, and what happened was, that's kind of like the point when networks are kind of like, okay, we've got enough episodes to syndicate. And it was also a matter of PBS couldn't exactly get the money anymore. So they were kind of like, well, shoot, we're not sure what we're going to do. So they kind of came up with the idea of, hey, instead of a season of specials, they figured, why don't we do some primetime specials? Because they did the Christmas one, and they figured, might as well give it a go. And it's kind of the only way we can keep it running at this point. So they did four primetime specials, hour long each, and then another tiny spinoff that was like, I think 80% Thomas. Like they filmed stuff with George Carlin. It was called Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, that's right. I think that was kind of to fill up a package or something. And then after that, I think around... 96, I want to say. They decided to drop it from PBS, and that because Britt had a friend. Who was that guy? The the fellow that ran... Uh, oh, Haim Saban. Yeah, that's him. So he Ooh. he was kind of like, yo, so we're starting up this cable channel with Fox. You want to bring Shining Time over? Maybe we'll make more. And she was like, oh, sure. Let's go do that. So Shining Time was brought over there as an attempt to kind of like, you know, hey, check it out. We got Shining Time over here. Come check out Fox Family. And then I think it lasted like a year or two. And then I think 99... They dropped Shining Time altogether and ju- and did something called Story Time with Thomas, which was two Thomas stories in an episode of another show that Britt Allcroft did called Magic Adventures of Mumphy, which was 2D animated. So Thomas went from a standalone show that became part of a larger show that became pretty much the main part of a larger show instead of a side part of a larger show. And this is why the distribution of the show is so fucked up over here. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright is weird and scary, and I don't like it. Especially with Hit Entertainment just folding lately. Like, what even is that? More like shit entertainment. Ah! <laughs> yeah, it was like the reason VeggieTales kind of fucking died, among other things. But it was like they were pretty much like fucking Thanos just buying random companies. Because it was like they became big with Bob the Builder. And then they were like, okay, Barney, you got that? We're going to take that. Pingu, we got that. Oh, the Wiggles, you got that with Barney too? We're going to take that. Oh, Thomas the Tank Engine, Mumphy. Oh, we're going to take that. Oh, fuck Mumphy, though. We're, we, we're here for Thomas. And then I think, like, I think 2004, 2005, they were like, shit, so uh, Wiggles and Barney are kind of starting to go down a bit. So they, <laughs> they got bought by a company called Apex Partners, which kept the hit branding. And then they switched Thomas and Bob and Angelina Ballerina, which was another thing they were producing for the buyouts. I think, well, they were developing it before the buyouts, I think. And then they switched it so that it would be more cost-effective and stuff. And then I think Thomas and Fireman Sam were the only ones that did well. So they're like, anyone want to buy us? We're kind of fucked at the moment. (laughs) So Mattel's like, hmm, Wishbone, Thomas, Barney, all those recognizable brands. Okay, we'll take that. Oh, the Thomas team have an actually decent new writing team coming in. We'll give them a little bit for that. Maybe fuck up the toys a bit, but we'll give them a good couple of years. Uh, Bob, okay, you guys uh, did this really shitty looking CG reboot. So let's do our own reboot. It's like the new Bob, the Bob that's, that didn't look terrifying at all, <laughs> that didn't have <laughs> terrifyingly realistic chompers and tiny ass eyes, because the 2010s like to do that, like, freaking weird, like, tiny dot eye real life thing, and I don't like that. And now <laughs> Thomas is a goddamn mess right now. They did a, a soft reboot they were promoting as a hard reboot with, I think, called Big World Big Adventures. It, that didn't go over well, because the previous team was like, we're going to do it for the older kids again, give quality writing. And the kids were like, we're kind of bored. And the parents were like, who the fuck are some of these guys coming in from like the ancient years? So like, they were like, well, shit, Paw Patrol's kind of kicking our ass right now. Let's do this thing where Thomas goes around the world and there's dream sequences and all this stuff. But it's basically the same thing. We're just throwing in some extra bells and whistles. 
And they signed up with Nickelodeon because it's like, ah, oh, PBS is kind of doing their own thing. They're more educational, not really licensing stuff now. Hey, Nickelodeon, you don't have a history of fucking over third-party properties. Let's do this. Oh. <laughs> and then no, fucking Alvin and the Chipmunks. And then they switched over to Netflix, and it seemed like okay distribution's in check. This is gonna be okay. And then they announced, hey, we're going to 2D, and we're not even gonna try and be like Thomas anymore. Now Thomas is literally gonna just yeet from other stuff. And now it's like, okay, well, at least it's on Netflix, so you won't have to worry about it. And then it's like, oh, by the way, Cartoon Network's getting it now. And I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> God damn! <laughs> you know, I, I try to be very objective about reboots, especially with shows that I kind of fell off the wagon with. Yeah. Thomas the Tank Engine has no excuse being as shitty as it is now. Yeah, oh my god. Like, for a show that used to be so soothing and serene, and especially with Shining Time Station, this is just... I don't know how to describe it. It's just so... Like, one thing I noticed about Thomas is that it really appealed to autistic kids a lot, and I think oh, yeah. that's yeah. because... That it was kind of just a very low-key, calm show. I know it appealed to me for a long-ass time. So that's so weird to have it, like, go to this balls-to-the-wall, cartoony, loud style. Because if there was anything we should learn from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, it's to make a cartoon, cartoon spin-off with Daniel Tiger that's loud and obnoxious and tells you to just throw a fit when you're angry. Inside Beach! Is that Daniel Tiger? I think that's more... I remember seeing, like, an episode and it was just kind of, like... It was kind of boring. I think that's more yeah. Caillou, though, which has recently perished. <laughs> well, first of all, fuck Caillou from beginning to end. There was nothing ever good about that. Betty Aberlin, who was Lady Aberlin on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, has gone on record to say that that show is god-awful. And yes, thank you, Lady Aberlin. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad because I'm sure that they tried to make it a good show, and the animation is pretty cute, but every time I watch it, I'm just like, Fred is rolling in his grave. <laughs> yeah. Fred didn't die for our sins. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was the first of four specials, um, and I remember in another episode, Terry Gar was a guest star. So there's your uh, Weird Al show and Adventures in Wonderland connection. Oh, and speaking of, so the set of, of this show was done by Wayne White, who also did the set for the Weird Al show in Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, shit. <laughs> no escape. So this guy has a knack for coming up with just like really amazing sets. But this one is kind of like the more subdued of the three because there's just like this really amazing mural that's the backdrop of it. And it's just so fucking good. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny because another connection I I should also add, I found out that Tito Swing is played by Jonathan Freeman, aka freaking Jafar. Oh my god. Holy shit. <laughs> I can do you one further. Grace the Bass, another one of the puppet band members we'll be discussing. That's Venice Thomas, who did Cleo, one of the muses from Hercules. Oh my god. Oh That's yeah. That's so cool. She's the one who did like, on every vault. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. And Fuck yeah. <laughs> And then, so this special stars Ed Begley Jr. In fact, was this before he started becoming famous? Because I know he became really famous once he started doing, like, Christopher Guest movies and several sitcoms. I know he had a role in Saint Elsewhere. He's also Stan Sitwell in Arrested Development. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Like, the guy who would keep wearing the cheap toupee and he had, like, the fake eyebrows. Well, I'm not waiting on my brother. I pass. You look surprised. I'm 
I'm sorry. I must have put it on too high. Oh, and then it was also before he was in Six Feet Under as well. And also before he was hawking the Cinco phone. <laughs> yes. On Tim and Eric. <laughs> <laughs> the Syncophone is such a powerful phone, it has a tendency to get warm. But that's never a problem, because each Syncophone comes with a tube of cooling gel. Mmm. Boy, that suits. And then I think this was also around the time he was in that weird-ass movie, Meet the Applegates. <laughs> oh, that fucking movie. That was nightmare fuel. Oh, hang on. I was thinking of the wrong Apple last name. <laughs> I was for a solid second thinking about the um Heaven's Gate documentary on HBO Max and I was like he was in that but then I was like oh wait the cult is Apple White. <laughs> oh, oh my god. <laughs> we managed to connect Shining Time Station to Heaven's Gate. That's how amazing our podcast is. <laughs> so the episode starts out with Mr. Conductor helping getting ready for the station's Founders Day celebration which is when they get together and all celebrate the history of Shining Time, the town, and the station. And then it also opens with Mr. Conductor and his diary. And it reminded me so much of the Snape sections with his diary from Potter Puppet Pals. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Today I ate some oatmeal for my breakfast. It was flavorless and watery. I thought of my mother. I cried. That oh. and My Immortal are the only two ways to unproblematically enjoy Harry Potter now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So one of the kids comes up, Becky, and she has a conversation with Mr. Conductor. She basically sets up the plot for the episode because he has a wishing star and he uses it to scrub off a, a stain on the mural. And he's standing like right near the cowboy in the mural. So conveniently, Becky wishes to meet a cowboy for the day. And guess what happens? You know, I'd be terrified of him accidentally having that thing if somebody was like, I wish there was some way I could stay home from work. And it's... <laughs> That's how the COVID-19 pandemic begins. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so basically what happens is this is the inverse of that scene from Tales from the Hood where the cop gets shot and then he gets melted into that mural. Oh! Oh my god. Oh my god. God, we should just do that to all cops from now on. Just fucking paint them. Yes, we should. <laughs> so this is where Ed Begley Jr. comes in as Ned Kincaid, the cowboy in the mural, and he doesn't know where he is. He comes in riding on a horse. He's just like, wait, where, shit, where's the train? We're, we're kind of lost. Okay, just just find somewhere to figure all this stuff out. And then the horse gets scared by a, a tractor or something, and then it throws him off of it, and he sprains his wrist. And he's fared so much better than Michelle Tanner did. Oh! He fared fucking better than Christopher Reeves. <laughs> oh. If there's one thing I've learned from Full House and Superman, it's that falling off a horse should be way more serious than this. <laughs> like, Ned <laughs> fell off his horse! He's gonna have no memories ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he didn't go with the wind. Hey and somehow he did not have a giant ass bump on his head. <laughs> He just took a light tumble. <laughs> I also gotta love that he was right near Becky and he's still just like, wait, what'd you say? What was that you said? I need to get my convenient 1920s, like, hearing tube. Like, the, the one that looks like a record yeah. player. Also, what if none of Shining Time Station is real and this is just Mr. Conductor living in a room all alone writing a story because he's, like, the last person on Earth? So he's just... <laughs> 
Dear Thomas, <laughs> I wrote you, but you still ain't calling. <laughs> also, I'm gonna I gotta ask to any horse people listening to this podcast. Do horses really get that easily spooked by tractors? Like, I would think that horses usually live where they're prevalent, so... <laughs> Although, maybe it's different because this is an 1800s horse and not a, you know, modern horse. He just comes in like, what's this shit? <laughs> not even that. It's just a horse that technically didn't exist before this very moment, so... Of course it's going to be scared shitless of a tractor. I've been to stables with real horses. I used to carpool with someone who had horseback riding lessons, oh, so I'd just hang out with the horses until they were done. And one day, it was, like, particularly very windy, and, like, all of the horses were screaming every time the wind picked up slightly, so... I am fully aware that horses are easily spooked, but, like, to this degree... <laughs> That's a little debatable. Like, this horse is cool, just running next to a train at full speed, but a tractor is what just sets him off. Which, by the way, there's several times in this special that they specify that Ned Kincaid has, like, specific cognizant memories of him trying to catch the train in the mural that he's a part of, so... Is he just, like, frozen in time at that specific moment, and that's all he has memories of? I'm very confused about how this works. Especially when, spoilers, we later learn he has a relative that's living, so... <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, they explicitly state that his relative knows Ned Kincaid because he existed, like, a hundred years before. So, how did nobody notice this literal historical figure walking around until he went away? I guess they were like, it's a very convincing cosplay or something, I guess. Because that brings us to another plot in the episode, which is... A costume contest. There's like J.B. King, who's like the railroad superintendent, if I'm not mistaken. Like the whole time he's just like... I just wanted to point out to you that the lining in this jacket is absolutely authentic. And my underwear, <laughs> it was once worn by here. Let me show you. Oh, no, 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 that won't be necessary. It's just like him just like kissing the ass of like Mayor... I think it was Mayor Flopdinger, I think that's his name is. Yeah, it was the yeah, Mayor Flopdinger. <laughs> Flopdinger. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor. <laughs> Yeah. I also fucking love when Schemer's like, well, why don't you go in a field and trip? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good roast. Yeah, because what happens is the three kids, Dan, Becky, and Kara, set up a face painting booth because they want to make money for their field trip, but they're doing it for like 25 cents. So even if they get enough people, they're not going to be able to make enough money for a field trip. I mean, what year was this made again? Like 19... Yeah, I think this was 95 when it was there. 1990. I'm trying to think about inflation. 25 cents would still nowhere near be yeah, unless, worth anything. <laughs> unless it's like bus fare or something. Probably. I guess it's like, <laughs> oh boy, we made $25. Well, why are you going on a field trip to if you're just you're getting 25 cents for a bus token at the subway station? <laughs> <laughs> They're probably just gonna take a field trip to a stoplight instead. Yeah, it's just like Spongebob. <laughs> what I learned in Shining Time Station is... <laughs> I also love that one of the kids is dressed as, like, Dick Dastardly. Like, the, he has the hat and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, because Schemer comes in and he starts roasting the three kids. It's, it's Dan that's wearing the outfit, I think. And Dan's like, oh man, I look like a loser in this. And Schemer's basically like, <laughs> you sure do. <laughs> <laughs> Schemer's a dick to kids. This guy's just hanging out at Shining Time Station with nothing better to do than just roast a bunch of fucking kids in his free time. Just because he runs the arcade. Schemer's just like, fuck them kids. 
this schemer is white male privilege because if he wasn't, he would get fired instantly. Schemer <laughs> is like those weird child-free people on Reddit. Oh, <laughs> He's one of those people who refuses to give up his bus seat to a pregnant woman. <laughs> schemer says the word crotch goblin unironically. <laughs> Oh, man. Because it's funny, too, because, like, with the costume contest, he's got, like, these posters set up, and it's just, like, there's, like, a thing he pulls out where it's just, like, vote schemer for the costume contest, and Stacey's just, like, yo, these belong in your arcade, not for, like, the rest of the station. Schemer <laughs> <laughs> is just one of those people that'll just be, like, well, I'm not a Thomas fan, and then just, like, show off his fine collection of every single white face troublesome truck he's collected on eBay and sells for $500. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a genuine thing that happens in the fandom. There's a wooden railway freight car. Oh, man. That people, like, I guess, made up that was, like, really valuable, and then it's not, and just, like, everyone oversells the shit out of it. (laughs) (laughs) There's Thomas stuff worth $500? When you've been around this fandom, you will see some shit. And, of course, the less said about Thomas the Tank Engine and DeviantArt, the better. (laughs) Oh, God, me and my my girlfriend joke about that sometimes. (laughs) Is the shipping of Thomas the Tank Engine and Twilight Sparkle legit, or was that, like, a fandom joke that went too far? That's more Pooh's Adventures fandom. That's, like... Oh, God, no. (laughs) The less said about that, the better. We don't have to get into that today. Not yet. Listen, what you like is what you like, but also there's limits, guys. Gotta be careful. (laughs) Yeah, so what happens next is the jukebox band comes in, and... God, are those fucking puppets terrifying? I don't like those puppets. Like, <laughs> I, I, really I thought don't it was either. gonna be cute little aliens in there. Uh, no, it's scary people. <laughs> they are to this show what the Foley dollhouse is to the big comfy couch, honestly. Like, I could always do without these segments. I think when they started licensing Beyond Thomas, that was like one of the big things they merchandised. Like, there was like books and stuff, and they had a few direct to video things. And one that I've not seen those, but I know one of the characters that was a frequent in them. I think makes his TV debut here. It's their manager, JJ Silvers, this yeah. this Edwin looking fuck. <laughs> that Al Bundy sounding motherfucker. <laughs> hey guys, we gotta go in and make some cash. <laughs> There's big box office potential. Basically, JJ Silver is the head of Mattel. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> There is the Mark Forrester movie happening, but I have faith in that because it actually sounds like something made by people who give a shit about Thomas and Legacy. Especially since he made the Christopher Robin movie, which is actually really cute, so. I haven't seen Christopher Robin because I was like, oh, I'm not sure because it was like the trend at the time where it was like, oh man, the characters, they got to help Neil Patrick Harris and his wife be ready for the baby. And also stop the spooky Gargamel. But it's like, I heard good things about it. Like, it sounds like he has a genuine respect for Legacy. And also, they can't fuck up worse than the last attempt at Thomas movie they actually got moving. Where it was going to be like, what a workshop was going to do the effects. And it was going to be like an older Thomas. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. This implies that the trains age? No, it was like an older skewing one. So this was going to be like, yeah, we're Thomas for older kids. Oh, that's what you meant. Okay. (laughs) Thomas takes a hit of his vape. (laughs) (laughs) Thomas drinks a monster energy and rams a hole in the wall while wearing a cookie monster snap (laughs) yeah he just fills up his tanks and that's what he boils (laughs) it it actually nearly happened because when hit was kind of starting to kick the bucket before mattel bought them they tried doing a movie division so it kind of looks like you know hey check it out we're liking nickelodeon movies our properties have marketing value and 
The Thomas one, which actually did go into production, there was like a bunch that got canned because there was actually proof of concept trailers made for investors with like stock footage and stuff. There's going to be a Jack Black level comedy with Barney where it was like, Barney was the thing you really made fun of, but now he's coming back. <laughs> and then there was like a step up style kind of Angelina Ballerina. The only storyboarded one that they did, which was a Dwayne Johnson, Bob the Builder movie. These are on video. These are real. You're telling me this is not some sort of, like, parody Twitter account? No, these were real? These are, these are fucking real. They are out there on Vimeo. I think they're called Ripomatics, what this guy did. But the one that actually did go into development was Thomas, because that's, you know, the brand people were still paying money for. And it was going to be, like, a father-son reuniting thing. And it was like, Thomas is a world without trains. That's going to be cool, and it, it's not. That's not Thomas. It's, like, real-life trains, and then, you know, some people still there. Shane Acker was going to direct it, the director of Nine, but the writer of it, who did it before Shane Acker was brought on, was the guy who wrote Trek the Third. And there's a fan site called Sodor Island Fan Site, and they tweeted about the script at one point. And it was, like, it was kind of at this point when they switched to CGI, and, like, it was the point where the model stuff and the CG stuff were kind of, like, they moved back to PBS around 2004 by revamping the series a lot, and... They said, well, the quality kind of shows at the time because it was like, it was really, really bad. Oh, But yeah, man, I got off track again. So back to the episode. So the jukebox band does have an arc in this and yeah, it sure was an arc, wasn't it? So basically what happens is that they get evicted from Shining Time Station by Schemer because he wants to change his looks in order to impress Stacy so that she gets away from Ned Kincaid, which, yeah, nice try, fuck face. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're jumping ahead, but we got to talk about that fucking What's New Pussycat yeah, segment just... because goddamn, How did they even license that? So earlier I said I didn't like the puppets in the jukebox. Okay, this rat band in the new jukebox, yeah. I actually really like the designs of. <laughs> Why can't that be like all the time? Why are you making me root for the replacement? The weird thing is that they literally show up. We don't learn anything about their personalities, who they are, what kind of songs they do besides this cover of What's New Pussycat, which I'm not going to lie, I kind of like it a bit. Me too. <laughs> I like the jukebox songs, but that is a slap. It is kind of awesome. Because the uh, jukebox band, they do have a lot of personality to them, and... I'm just going to say this now. The blonde drummer girl, she sounds a lot like Arlene Sorkin. Oh my god, she does! Oh! <laughs> Randy has entered the chat. <laughs> Randy has entered the chat. <laughs> Harley freaking Quinn. Follow me at No Context Harley Quinn. I have posted Arlene Sorkin clips from all sorts of things. Hell yeah. Harley or not, because I love her. Because I love her that much. We're not cutting the static yet. Quiet, you. Hey y'all, wanna watch some anime? I haven't seen this one. Ooh, good idea. I've been meaning to watch this one. Hey, can we watch this one? I was, uh, distracted. Ignoring how easily Gomer is distracted by booty, how about this one? All right, all right. How about this? Let's just pick one and watch one episode a week. We can even talk about it on a podcast. It's random, it's anime. What should we call it? Randomate. Check out Randomate. Recorded every week at twitchtv.com 
backslash Rosen Thorn. Which TV? And available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord. This I is all staying in. Because as mentioned, it was like they're throwing stuff, and so he gets a new jukebox, which is this huge electric-looking thing. It's like a pong machine. That's the kind of vibe I get from Very the... 80s. I know the, the puppets are really uncanny, but the jukebox songs, unironically, are a slap. I do like them, Hell yeah. yeah. But it's funny with the Rat Pack one, because it's like, normally you got these wonky-ass movements going on. Like, this one, this one rat that's just looking drunk, just like, slamming the drum. He's like, slumped in front, just like, boom. Just like every now and then, just like I do have a question about the first jukebox song. That's like the the, the fucking I'm a cowboy song. Yeah. What what the fuck is Tiwi? <laughs> I think it's what? like a yeehaw kind of thing, just kind of like a, a a country music thing. Then just say yeehaw. What the fuck is Tiwi? That like maybe they mean tumbleweed. <laughs> just say tumbleweed. Then why? What the fuck is Tiwi? I think it's like a country music thing where it's like they have like one note they got to go on and then they use a couple of words. <laughs> but it's just like, it's funny when you think, because I watched the Rat Pack bit, like with the jukebox, like the, what's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and I cannot do anything but fucking think of the John Mulaney bit. Imagine being in a diner and a bunch of fucking rats are just like singing, what's new, pussycat, 21 times. <laughs> And they sing it's not unusual one time. Also, there's a giant cat puppet that doesn't even look like a cat. It looks more like a gopher, if anything. <laughs> she looks like one of the fuzz paws from ITV. Oh my god. <laughs> Which shows how obscure I am because that's a Canadian thing and I didn't even grow up with the fuzz paws. They were like years before I was born. Before it was even a fetus. On a side note, you can just tell that if George Carlin was re-watching that special when he came to that part, you can just tell he was snickering about how he didn't even need to be dirty on the show. It was already doing it by having a song called Pussycat. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite episode of Shining Time Station is where Mr. Conductor teaches the kids seven new words. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, my favorite episode is when Mr. Conductor teaches them a new cheer. <laughs> my favorite part is when Mr. Conductor sees the Disney logo and he's like, I hope Mickey Mouse goddamn dies. I hope he gets a, a hold of some tainted cheese. <laughs> I gotta say it now that it's in my head. Ratchet, batshit, dirty old twat. 69 assholes tied in a I, this does make me raise a question, though. Which Thomas character would theoretically be the one to say that chant? <laughs> um, Birdie. <laughs> yeah, he, that'd just be him after winning a race. Just like, hey, Thomas, that shit, that shit, dirty old. <laughs> <laughs> Birdie was my favorite when I was a kid. Anyway. Back to the human segments. Unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about the uh, jukebox puppets. I'm going to be quickly controversial. I I actually like the puppet fits. I don't know. They had some charm to them. <laughs> Heretic. <laughs> Go to your room. Yay! Discourse. Because the fun thing is, and this is one of the best things about Shining Time, even with the puppets, like the characters aren't all just like, I'm this character or I'm that character. Everyone's kind of got their own decent little personality. It's like, I think Tito, the band leader, his thing is like collecting nickels and he's kind of like, yo, I'm the quick happening kind of guy, which is funny when you consider who he's voiced by. Because <laughs> everyone doesn't feel like they're just like, oh, we're just like a one no character. But they all have like personality and they all kind of like bounce off each other. Because like the jukebox, you've got all these different characters, but then most of the specials like this fucking manager dude just like, hey, 
Skimma boy, help us, we're literally in a junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like literally the only time ever in this show, like any of the mythical elements interact with Schemer properly. Yeah, he literally calls him just like, hey, Schema, you gotta get us back. And he's just like, oh, I get it. You're some kind of secret admirer. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, you fucking bitch, help. They work exactly like how Snuffy did on Sesame Street for a couple of years before he was finally revealed. One more thing I have about Schemer. How am I supposed to think this guy is in any way a protagonist when his name is literally Schemer? I don't think he was a protagonist. I don't know what the hell he was. I thought he was a villain or something because his name was literally fucking Schemer. He's chaotic neutral. He's an asshole, but he's too goofy to be taken seriously. The one line that Schemer has in the puppet segment where he's talking to them is, oh, you'll take anything, huh? How about you take me hanging up on you? (laughs) (laughs) That was a beautiful line. (laughs) Schemer is such a fucking asshole, but he gets all the good bits on this show. He's kind of like Cyril Sneer from the Raccoons. He's like an asshole, but he's also the best part because he's an asshole. Yes. And again, the delivery is so fucking spot on for all of the material Brian O'Connor gets in this show. Yes. It was kind of funny when Stacy and Ned are meeting and then kind of doing their little meet cute. And then he's just like, oh, so Stacy's not going to like me anymore. Yes. And I'm just like, she probably didn't like you that much to begin with, my dude. <laughs> you goddamn incel. She pretended to tolerate him at best. Even at the end, she was struggling to find things she liked about him. I was just like, So the main chunk of the plotline of this episode is that Schemer gets insanely jealous of Ned Kincaid. (laughs) Because she... Because uh, Stacy meets him when she's just frolicking in the flowers and... She's getting wildflowers to dress up the station for the Founders Day stuff. I will admit, Ed Begley Jr. is an absolute chad in this special. Yes! The idea I got from this is that I was literally watching Chad vs. Virgin the movie. That's exactly what I was thinking of. That was my exact thought in the showdown scene where uh, Schemer tries to fight him. Also, goddammit, I gotta say it, Ned and Stacy were genuinely adorable. Like, yes. I know, right? Yes. I was like, I'm gonna be so sad when he has to go back. <laughs> I feel that too, because like, for one of the later Thomas movies, like the direct-to-video ones, they did one for, that was like an Olympics time called The Great Race. And I don't know how much she's known outside of like, you know, Thomas Phantom and stuff, but I guess the normies kind of know about her a bit. Do you guys know this one character, Ashima, this Indian train? Uh, oh, I think I've heard of her, yeah. She's the pink one with, like, all the decals on her, and then she's got this, like, well-designed face and stuff like that. She was sort of the feature character in the movie, and it's like, Thomas never really dealt with full-on shipping stuff or anything. She gets introduced because these international trains accidentally stop on Sodor because their boat stops at the wrong place. The other international engines are kind of assholes to Thomas, and then Ashima's trying to get back to the boat. She bumps into Thomas by mistake. And she pulls him up from diving to the sea. And she's just like, man, you international engines. Why are you such asshole? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, they have like lighting and stuff. Like the, the, the rays going down and stuff. Apparently, they had to tone it because, no joke, some guy on 4chan or something that animated on the movie, they said they got notes from the director or something because it was like bedroom eyes or something that they had. <laughs> they had to tone down. The look of an engine's eyes on a cartoon train. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) The trains are fucking. (laughs) One thing that I guess is canon then about the Thomas universe is that the trains can fuck. But with the Great Race movie, before we go back to the episode, basically it starts off like, because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm kind of jealous of you because you were doing a lot of these things kind of better and I wish I could be this thing. 
Because this whole thing in the movie is like, he wants to go to the railway show that they're doing, like across the mainland, which is like the train Olympic. And he's like, oh shoot, Ashima's painted really cool. I'm going to go get painted like her. But it's like, even then he's like, and in Clarabelle, like the coaches, they're just like, oh, Thomas wants to go to the show too. Because she's trying to get to the show. And she's like, you maybe you two could go together. And Thomas is like, he's... <laughs> like he's blushing and shit, and it's it's adorable. Me and my girlfriend absolutely love them. Aww, they're the best straight Thomas ship, and I will die on that hill. Yes, that's, that's so a good. very valid. And it's like I get those vibes in this episode because it's like it feels genuinely sweet. Like they just a cowboy and a station master just vibing together, and it's like just hanging out by the river, and then schemer just gently falling into the river as a bush. <laughs> I also fucking love the scene where, like, Shimmer decides to try to bring in a bunch of flowers, and it turns out they're full of bugs. And then oh, Stacy yeah. throws them out the window, and then he just jumps out the window, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that bit. Like, those flowers were brand new two weeks ago. And they just fucking, <laughs> just fucking, like, dives down like a freaking Olympic swimmer through the window. <laughs> and then the window shuts. The window shuts. Just let him stay out there. <laughs> If we ever get Brian O'Connor on the show, it's just going to be us complimenting him for over two yeah. hours and saying, why was Schemer such an asshole? <laughs> Brian, if you're listening, you're awesome. But he's a lovable asshole. He is, absolutely. There's also a scene where a blind girl comes in, Lily, and this is one of the pivotal scenes between Stacy and Ned. This is uh, also one of the first jukebox songs. So he's painting her face and Stacy's starting to fall in love with Ned because she's starting to see like the really sensitive side of him. Yes, that was so cute. But the one line that really caught me off guard <laughs> was after Lily leaves and one of the kids, Kara, she says something along the lines of, I like Lily. You know, after a while, I forgot she couldn't see. Ooh, no. Oh, no. The fuck is that supposed to mean? Oh, God. Oh, 90s. I know this was the 90s and everybody meant well, but they just didn't have the correct information. But Jesus. Yeah. It's like you nearly had it. At the least, they could have given it to Lily and word it in a way like, I saw something today in my own special way or something. Also, not going to lie, I kind of wish she would have become the fourth kid in this season. Yeah, I think she, was cool. she for the specials? I've only seen the Queen one, but I'm not sure if she kind of became the fourth kid in those. No, she only shows up in this one, I think. Oh, dang! At some point, Dan just entirely leaves and he gets replaced by someone else named Kit. Oh, yeah, that, he was like a nephew or something from what I read, right? Of, like, Billy? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, didn't Shemer also have... Yeah, he had a nephew in one episode. Yeah, he had Schemey. Schemey? <laughs> Skeemy! Yeah. I watched the Bad Luck episode as well to prepare it. I love their chemistry. <laughs> I'm surprised they did an economics episode because one of the first ones I fully watched, like, I think a few years ago was, like, the Sweet and Sour one where they set up a lemonade stand. Oh, yeah, And then that Schemer episode. takes over and then just continually makes, like, waters down the product and stuff. And it's like, shit, this show is more progressive than I was thinking. <laughs> Speaking of progressiveness, representation, and the kids... So one of the things that the show did, and these specials did too, I think they kind of might have coordinated this with some of the VHS releases, but so the thing that we do is like the kids are going through a thing and the Mr. Conductor shows up and basically this was where they would take in the Thomas stories. So I'm trying to remember what was the one that led into this one, but first of the two in these, which was, I believe this was one of the ones that got, I think the first one that got a VHS release from this season of the series called Rusty to the Rescue. Yeah, this is the one that introduces uh, Rusty and Stepney. And the thing with Rusty that's really cool, because Rusty was part of a cast that introduced a season called the Narrow Gauge Engine. So like real life, there's like the big 
fucking honking huge engines that you see, like with Amtrak and stuff. But then there was like narrow gauge railways that they, I think, initially used for like mines and quarries and stuff. And a lot of them are tourist railways now, and some of these are even built on that gauge because it's a lot easier to wind through stuff. But what was interesting about Rusty, who's kind of the feature character, was in the books, Rusty was um, referred to as male once. So when Rusty was brought over to TV, Rusty, to my knowledge, was one of the first gender-fluid characters ever introduced in kids' TV. Yes! Mm. Yes! yes. <laughs> oh Trans, God. trains, rights. Trans, trains, rights. They called Rusty gender neutral at the time, which I, I think that's a dated term now. If it is, I apologize. No, it's not. It's actually pretty. Uh, I think that's actually a lot of people still do identify as gender neutral. Yeah, and I think it's it's used pretty commonly. So, but also uh, to uh, go on with what you guys were saying, uh, trains rights. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with Rusty, they designed their face as sort of androgynous. They designed it so Rusty wouldn't look specifically like a male or a female, and they don't refer to them as he, him, or she, her. I think some of the merchandising eventually did, which led to Rusty losing that. But what they would do was instead of she, her, he, him, they would go by Rusty and the Little Diesel. So anything that was he went to this place, they went the Little Diesel went to this place. So, yeah, 1995, Britt Allcroft was being more progressive than 90% of, like, television at the time. They were just like, yeah, we're doing a fucking gender-neutral character, because listen, <laughs> too many of these boy trains fucking around. Let's have some gender rep in here. So the story was Rusty to the Rescue, and in the Thomas fandom, this one's fiercely debated because they introduced Stephanie in this one. Who is a real-life engine. I mean, I did like it. So we literally just did a podcast with Michelle. Now we're doing a podcast with Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> there was that one episode of Full House where Stephanie changed her name to Dawn. Because kids in her class were calling her Step On Me. <laughs> but the reason it's debated was it was based on a book that was based around this real engine at a railway called the Bluebell Railway. The engine's called Stephanie, so the original story, this is one of the ones that you'll see in news articles and stuff, like illustrations, where it's like, Percy's like, shit, so there's engines being scrapped on the other railway, and so there's like a grim-looking, like, illustration of, like, these trains in a scrapyard, and it gets, like, tossed around a lot with people, but then there's, like, a forward at the start of the book where it's like, Percy's mistaken, because there's a lot of railways on the mainland that care a lot about steam engines, and the Bluebell Railway is one of them, so what it was was, like, basically... It changed it up from, oh man, the other railway is mean, but Stephanie, he's one of the cool engines on a railway that likes steam engines, and then Stephanie just kind of like shows up to town. This one changed it up so basically it turns into an immigrant rescue mission, what this is, because Stephanie is just chilling around, he's vibing in the valleys, and he's, there's like a railroad line called the Bluebell Railway, you know, so they could work it in. And his driver's sad because it's like, oh shit, we kind of need an engine to run this line. A bluebell engine goes Rusty, and so Rusty goes up to, I think it's Donald, out of the two Scottish ones that rescued Oliver, another engine that they, I remember them promoting heavily the year before in like an Ertl thing. So Rusty's just kind of like, yo, so do you know where we can find another engine? Oh, wait, on the other railway? Yeah. And he's like, I'd like to help, but these days it's only diesels that go there. And Rusty's just like, well, I guess I'm going the other railway then. And literally, what it goes from, it they turn the story from, so there's this real railway, and there's these cool, this it saves steam engines, and hey, Stephanie's just coming to town, look how cool he is. It turns it into this tiny-ass little box diesel. They just decide to go, well, shit, I guess I'm going to the mainland then. It turns it into a road trip adventure. 
just like suddenly going all day to the other railway. Another great thing was like the Tama series was great with doing atmosphere because these oh, were all yes. like model trains, some of them bigger than others. Like I think the, the narrow gauge ones were all gauge, which is like Lionel scale. And then the big ones were again the G scale, which is like the Christmas tree trains you usually see. But it's like you get this really cool montage after the driver's like, the manager's cool if we go find an engine. Let's go have a little road trip tomorrow to go the other railway. You get this really great scene where he's just going over viaducts, just passing along railway lines, passing by, you know, Gordon and Henry. With, like, all these different moves. They get daylight and then sunrise. They get to the other railway town. And it's just, like, this beautiful nighttime set where it's just this bridge that's just, like, all these houses are down there and Rusty's traveling over. And then you get to the other railway yard. And Rusty's just like, oh, what's that? And then there he goes, the lonely sounds of the scrapyard. And you've got all these scrap engines laying around. And then this huge line of recycled diesels just like lining up on guard. Yeah, I was going to point that out because those are basically just carcasses hanging <laughs> all around there. So fucking dark. So that's like going into a mass grave surrounded by like... <laughs> fucking military oh, guards yeah it's i don't even know what to compare it to it's because it's basically the border they're at and these diesels are just like who are you and rusty's like i'm a sightings inspection diesel do you have any engines no we have none well what about the sightings one we killed them all no, no like they, have, they go one we have one so that's where i'll go and then Stephanie's just there, along with all these, and his driver's there, huddled up with them with a scarf. And it, this is, <laughs> like, the dude's just, like, they're comforting them. And then Rusty shows up, and they're like, they're like, bluebells? And they're like, yes, I think they're beautiful. Well, I'm going to get you to a railway that has lots of them. And then there's this really great scene where it's, like, they fire him up, and then I think Rusty's driver exchanges to work with them and then they set off and the diesels are like where is he going oh just down the line and then this fucking beautiful shot where they're just charging through like this under the signal towers and stuff and then yes. this this panoramic shot with like them silhouetted against the moon and the smoke's just trailing just over so them. fucking good that was badass <laughs> they are going all out for this cinematography on what's basically a show for kids and that's not to mention, too, the way these trains emote while their faces are static. It's just so well done. I just have one more joke about the fucking weird, scary diesels. I ate his whistle with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Diesel 10 would say that. <laughs> Pinchy had some chili beans with it. I mean, hey, this is the show that ended up locking an engine in a fucking brick wall because he didn't want to come out. So. Yeah, it's like, I think of my poor train brethren who are probably going to be watching this because they're like, wow, the Milan Tuner's on a podcast. And it's like, you don't really realize how kind of fucked up the show can be at times Absolutely. until you say it out loud with some, like, non-Thomas friends. Yeah, there was just one episode where one of the older narrow gauge engines, Duke, he's just telling the two youngins. So you don't want to end up like Smudger. And he was a show-off. He rode roughly, constantly came off the rails, causing property damage. And he's like, listen, Dookie, who worries about a few spills? <laughs> <laughs> and just, like, literally, one day the manager got tired of it. He said he'd be re really useful again. Smudger stopped laughing, and they're like, well, why? What did he do? He turned him into a generator. He's still out there behind our shed. He'll never move again. And, <laughs> and they just, like, after that, they behaved much better. And it's like... And this is just a small part of another episode. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Sir Topham Hat is a fucking abuser. <laughs> that wasn't even Sir Topham Hat. 
Because I just remembered, if there's one thing I remember about Thomas, it was that there was a lot of episodes surrounding that everybody was just terrified to even falter slightly up their job, lest they literally be murdered. <laughs> I don't even think it was that. Everyone was just like, shit, can't screw this up. Because it wasn't even like... I, but it was, it was, there was like that existential thing because I think the episode that I was thinking of before that they, they actually connected Rusty to the rescue too, which is called Escape, which they expand, they expanded on this from the book too. Like, Everett's just vibing with Trevor the Traction Engine, who he saved from scrap, and then Donald's just like, yo, come on, get back to work. And then Edward's like, you and Trevor have a lot more in common than you think. And he's like, why? Scrap. Don't mention that name! Because they didn't state it in the TV series, like, too much because they cut out a story. But basically, Donald and Douglas, they kind of smuggle themselves over because Sir Top Matt orders one goods engine, but he gets two of them, and they lost the numbers for them. So, liter pretty much, like, literally, they did the same thing with Rusty the Rescue, where it's just, they basically get this poor, and with Escape, where it's basically getting these poor immigrant engines onto Sodor, which is like a safe haven. And it worked. And this episode, it works out even, like, and each one is just, like, they have a happy ending where it's like Trevor, who's going to be scrapped, like, the little traction engine, like, the tractor boy, he's like, he works in the orchard with, the, like, the vicar now, and then with Oliver, he works on Duck's Branch Line, and this one, he's like, yo, he got a whole ass railway in the valley with, like, bluebells and then a couple of coaches, a, a neat little gazebo station right there that you can hang out with Rusty. So, wait, you're telling me there's trains in this show, one named Donald and the other named Duck? Ah! <laughs> oh, okay. They did an episode called that, and that was based on a book. <laughs> well played. Because it's just like Duck's just constantly bragging, like, because he gets put in charge of a branch line, and then Donald's just like, quack, 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 and Duck's like, pardon? You hear? Quack, quack, you go. <laughs> like, sounds like you're an egg-laying. Now eesh, and let an engine get some rest. Quack yourself. And then Disney comes in with a cease and desist. <laughs> Because they put a duckling in Donald's tender car water tank, and then they open up, and then there's just a little duck, and they're like, oh, that's a good joke. And so they let it, the duck vibe for a little bit until it hops off at a station, and then they're like, okay, we're going to play a joke on duck, and they get like a little box and then put an egg, <laughs> they put an egg in it, and duck's just like, okay, shit, you win. <laughs> Who gets stuck with all the bad luck? No one but Donald Duck. <laughs> Hey <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, first Thomas story the special, we get immigration, gender rights, trans rights, every right. We fucking stand. Just, just so ahead of its time in the best way possible. And there's also the second Thomas story too, since we're here. Because this was the one that was more heavily adapted from a book with like some extra stuff in. Because they switched the railway that Stephanie's from, from like, it's kind of like a weird thing. I think what they tried doing was making it so it's like, a really, really far part of the island without railways. Like, the original book, it was like, it's a real railway in England called the Bluebell Railway that he comes in from England to Sodor to visit for a little bit, you know, kind of chill vibe. But this one, it's like a branch line. Well, shit, I like the line and all, but I kind of want to get out and about a little bit more. And so the driver's like, okay, we're going to go head over to, I guess, the main line a little bit. Tom is just a salty bitch in the episode. <laughs> Because he's like, my branch line's the pride of the line. It's the first on the line. Strange things are happening to me. Thomas is just going to turn out like Woody in the original version of Toy Story where he's a fucking bastard. Oh, man. The Shining Time Black Friday cut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Needs more edge. Edge. 
Also, I just realized this technically predicted the plot of Toy Story before Toy Story actually even came out. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, they came in in the same year, by the way, but think about it. A cowboy comes in the Shining Time Station, and Schemer, who's the guy who's always been there and he thinks he's big shit, he gets jealous and he tries to get rid of him. Oh my god. <laughs> the show was ahead of its time. Oh my god. <laughs> So kind of what they tried doing with Shining Time for the Thomas stories, I don't know if it was like writing the scripts around the stories, probably writing the scripts around the stories. So it's like with Rusty the Rescue, it's like, hey, check it out. New guys in town and helping out others a little bit. And then with this one, it's just like, Thomas just like a little bitch because he's just like, throughout the whole episode, he's like, my branch is the first on the line. Everyone knows that. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I've got an important train to go through. But then there's like, oh, shoot, there's an emergency at the station. And Thomas gets shunted and he's like, wait, what's going on? And then Stephanie comes rolling in with, like, a fast train. And they specifically say, like, well, bust my buffer, said Thomas, the tank engine. <laughs> Just to articulate it even more so. Just like, yeah, Thomas, the tank engine. He is not happy. Thomas wanted to speak to the manager. <laughs> Thomas, the care engine. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also resolved pretty quickly, too, because the next morning he's just, like, shunted on my own branch, too. And Stephanie's just like, yo, I'm sorry, man. There was something that happened at the station. A passenger really needed to get home, and so I had to be a special. And anyway, you got a really cool branch line, too. Like, it's a little nerve-wracking not knowing the line. And then the, Thomas is like, yeah, you're right. And Stephanie's like, you're such an expert. And then they're like, yo, okay, I vibe with you. Aww. <laughs> and that was, like, part two of a four-part arc they did with the series, which my only thing with the hour-long specials is, like, I don't get why they didn't do four Thomas stories instead of two. Because that one, I think, would have fit in right then and there because it was, like, four different stories they did. It was, like... My assumption is probably because they didn't want to oversaturate it with too much of the Thomas stories, I mean... Probably, yeah. Maybe they'd be like, oh, do we want to be like the, say, those sitcom episodes where they're like, we're going to make it a clip show because reasons. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God, they, yeah. That's what Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales was for. And speaking of Mr. Conductor, so what they do for the transitions to the Thomas stories is that he blows a whistle and smoke just starts coming up. And oh I... My God. <laughs> I feel oh, no. so bad about that that the first thing my mind goes to automatically is just it's just Mr. Conductor's vape pen. <laughs> oh my god. Oh I god. Knew. At some point you can tell that Mr. Conductor is gonna reenact that scene that George Carlin had in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back where he's just like I don't care who the driver is. It's the first rule in the book. What book? The unwritten book of the road. They're the same character. Changed my mind. <laughs> also, I mean, hey, he comes out of nowhere, so. Also, part of me, because I'm such an asshole, really wants one of the kids to say after Mr. Conductor spends all this time telling the story. Oh, sorry, Mr. Conductor, I zoned out. What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Back to the main plot of it. Before we move on to the bigger plot stuff, one thing I gotta point out really quick with the schemer stuff is like they do stuff with him where it's like he's trying to impress Stacy and the th there's the window thing earlier, but he does like two things where it's like first he tries to be like all French stuff like it is I your lover schemer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of my favorite parts of that when he gives Stacy the flowers full of bugs is he says, "Oh, do not worry, I will perform some insecticide." And while he's in the middle of saying that, he accidentally knocks the can off of it. I don't. I think that was totally <laughs> improvised. And then, like, the other thing that he dressed up as in the episode, I could be very wrong with my assumption on this. I have the least, I'm probably the most 
clueless out of this podcast here, but he's like, he does like a 70s pimp thing. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yo, it's me, schemer, like schemer, getting down and groovy. I'm a wild and groovy guy. <laughs> my assumption was that he was just dressed up as Prince. That was oh mine too. Oh my god. <laughs> Like, just, just a really, really, really white prince. Oh, my God. <laughs> so if Stacy's falling in love with somebody other than him, who's eventually going to disappear, does that mean he can never take the place of her man? <laughs> Ooh. I'll go to my room. <laughs> it looks like on this, he's trying to be a mix of, like, Prince and Fonzie. Yeah. <laughs> There is nothing more fearful than someone attempting to be like Fonzie. Oh, oh God, God, no. These days are all... Like, like, he was trying to be some sort of, like, 70s Fonz. Oh. It was so weird. <laughs> Imagine, like, Saturday Night Fever, but with the Fonz. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it continually fails. And then at one point, Schemer just tries to start a duel with Ned, and they're just doing <laughs> the one, two, three, and building up. Then all of a sudden, Stacy's like, Schemer, it's your mother! And then she hands him the phone, and he's just like, oh, she's says we have to call it off. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> Which, by the way, I can't be the only one who got really irked by that sound effect. Oh, I kind of yeah, did. <laughs> Isn't misophonia great? Yay! Yay! I can never be in the room with a crying baby. That's how bad it is. <laughs> Same here. So basically, I found out this sound effect is just a sped-up version of some of Didi Khan's dialogue from a past episode, but it is just... I had to skip just so I didn't have to hear that goddamn noise. It sounds so much like the noise you'll hear in like a really terrible TikTok recipe video where they'll just speed it up and add this really noise. Oh my god. Also, there's a scene where Ned and Stacy are about to kiss and Schemer is in the whole Prince getup and he just pops out of the window like, hey guys. Oh my god. It's just the worst kind of cock block. My anxious ass always just, like, pauses at moments like that when I'm just, like, watching on my own. It's just you know something is going to go horribly wrong. It's like a jump scare in some way. Yeah. So there's a stand-up, and then everyone's getting ready to go on the Founder's Day train, because it's, like, a thing they do. And then Schemer's like, she'll think I'm cool if I drive a train. And then he falls out of it, and then, he like, Billy comes up, and he's like... Schemer? Who's driving the train? What do you mean, who's driving the train? Who do you think's driving the train? Billy Two Feathers, he's the engineer! I mean, if anybody should know that, it should be you. After all, you are really two feathers. You want to know what Schemer did? He fucked around and found out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's literally his whole existence, is just him fucking around and finding out. Oh my god. <laughs> He legit put dozens of people in danger just so he could put his male ego in check. I was not expecting this very child-friendly show to go such, like, high stakes. I felt like I was watching one of those, like, plane crash documentaries. It's interesting you mention that, too, because this is where we get into some show history stuff with this. Because one of the big reasons they did these specials beyond, you know, we don't have money for full episodes, was with the increased budget, they could go on location. They did it once before relating to Randy's thing, because the one episode they did before, which was at the same railway, I think South Simcoe Railway, I think oh, compared yeah. to this one where they got like a full 
steam locomotive and then like three coaches and stuff that one got like a tiny little diesel shunter and a coach but this was a toronto railway if i remember right because for seasons two three and the specials they filmed in toronto but it was like for that one they had it where it's like the main plot is like them doing a play based on casey jones but then you've got billy he's doing like a high ball freight with like a tiny box car and like a boxy diesel and like a single coach and it's driving like, that train yeah he's on cocaine <laughs> Stacy Jones, you he's driving the train, but then it's like they're approaching Shining Time, and there's like a break or something that gets stuck, and they're about to head into Shining Time, but the points aren't switched. So Mr. C has to come in there and pretty much make sure that the switch gets switched on time. And this was written around another Thomas episode where Duck has to prevent a freight train which is barreling out of control from hitting James with a passenger train. Oh my god! Which was part of a plot line where they introduced Diesel and he got embarrassed on his first day because he was trying to be like, we Diesels are better. And the second episode is just like, he spreads rumors with the cars and so Duck's kind of like sent to Edward's place for a bit to kind of help out. So again, this show didn't fuck around when it came to like, even with the sitcom stuff, they would have like more serious stuff, including this one where it's just after Mr. Conductor explains stuff because he's like, shit, so Stacy really likes him but he's got to go back in the painting so i gotta explain to him he wants to write a note but he doesn't get time because billy gets called up and it's like this one way train so we get this freaking awesome sequence of kincaid on the horse hell yeah (laughs) i think he did his own stunts for this i have to double check how did you get the horse back he probably came back it's like a dog (laughs) he just like i found my owner it's a pegasus that just magically can fly over Turns out it was just a tractor. I'm back. I was scared for no reason, and I came to my senses, and I forgot to tell you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I need to say this, but there are several moments where Schemer just needed to get the shit kicked out of him. (laughs) And this was the fucking pinnacle of it. I am just so upset that there was not a scene where everybody gathered in the station and just went to town on him. Oh my god, by the way, remember earlier when I said there was going to be a 9-11 joke in this episode? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Jet fuel can't melt Shemer beams. <laughs> I love no. you. <laughs> when Shemer was hijacking the train, I was just like, don't make a 9-11 joke. Don't make a 9-11 joke. Oh, <laughs> I still remember in 2011 when Obama gave that speech after they killed Shemer. <laughs> you mean Osama bin Schemer? Oh my god. Ah, oh my god. Oh, no, 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 wait. I have one. I have one. Oh, Schemer bin Laden. <laughs> oh my god. Well, Schemer is a menace to society in this special, so yeah, why not? I mean, in all fairness, it was unintentional. I think they kind of did the slap in the wrist thing for. Yeah, they did, but he got off light. Like, seriously. At least Stacy should have beaten the shit out of him. Well, she emotionally kind of does. So, like, he comes in, and, like, Mr. Conductor also comes in, too. He's, like, blowing the whistle and stuff to warn people. But then he comes in, and then he saves the day, and then Lily, she, like, touches her face. Because I think there's a thing earlier in the episode where it's, like, I think one of the kids, I think it's Dan, if I'm not mistaken. Like, he's doing the face painting, and she's like, it doesn't feel right. And then Kincaid kind of, like, does the face painting, and that's over the first jukebox song. And so she touches the face, and she's just like, goodbye, Mr. Kincaid. And he's just, like, riding off in the field into the sunset. Oh, I get it now. Oh. Is she, like, in the Avatar state? Oh, my God. It's Toph. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, shit. It's fucking Toph. And Schemer's trying to hide. And then Stacey's just, like, cussing him out a little bit. Just, like, 
Dude, do you realize what you did? But then it's like, shit, I thought you weren't going to care about us anymore because you were hanging out with this dude. Because the kids are also like, she's hanging a lot more with the Kincaid guy. I, you know, part of me just really wanted her to say, Aw, schemer, nobody could ever love you. <laughs> it's true and you should say it. <laughs> Maybe this is my big dumb heart, but it's like, it's admittedly kind of a sweet scene because he's like, Dude, I thought, like, you're just kind of forgetting about us, and, like, you don't care about me or like us. And she's just like, well, I still care about you guys, because you're my friend. I would care more if, like, right off the bat, he wasn't such an asshole the entire movie. That's fair. I will give him credit that I did get a little heartwarmed over that scene where he gives the money to the kids for their oh, field yeah. trip. Yeah, he's like, here, take it before I change my mind. Take it, take it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that brings us to the ending. She's kind of like, well, shoot. Kincaid's gone. And then another guy comes in. It's Ed Begley Jr. too. And he's just like, excuse me, can I get some help? And she's like, you look familiar. Cop out. We gotta fulfill it so that she still has that love interest and can also develop it. And then he never shows up in another episode. They only did three specials, so they couldn't really expand it. Oh, yeah, that's true. It was a little weird because if that guy's supposed to be a relative of Ned, then doesn't that make it kind of like that scene in Civil War where Steve is kissing Peggy's niece? Oh, no. uh... That's kind of where it ends because it's like, like, Mr. Conductor just finishes off with this big old feather top pen, and then he just like, well, that's the story. And then they fucked. The <laughs> end. <laughs> no, Shining Yay! Time wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's wholesome. You're right. The show with George Carlin would never have sex in it. So one more thing is that, so the jukebox band does come back, and they never really explain what happens to the Rat Pack, so I'm just gonna go ahead and assume that they are rotting in some dumpster, and then they got crushed by a trash compactor. The end. <laughs> Maybe it was like a rental period or something where it's just like the equipment company let them rent it for a week and then it was like a refund thing and they took it back. Mm, probably. And that's Maybe. how the John Mulaney thing started. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up at the diner that John Mulaney was at instead. <laughs> to this day, the Rat Pack still performs. Whoa, whoa, what's new, pussycat? <laughs> okay. It turns uh, out it's you- the only song they know. Also, two quick things I wanted to mention because I forgot to mention them while we were discussing the episode. Okay, so earlier in the episode where Shimmer first meets Ned and then he's... Was it Midge or was it Ginny that was talking about how it was like Um, the gossip one? Yeah, it's it's, it's probably Midge. Yeah, So So Midge was the gossipy one. Oh yeah, that's right. We kind of skimmed over the townsfolk in the show. Yeah, I feel bad. Because I wanted to say this. They do a really good job of the world building in this show because absolutely it's not just the kid characters and billy and stacy there's like a lot of fun like outsider characters too like you have midge and Ginny, as we mentioned you have uh felix the bus driver who isn't in this but he kind of shows up sometimes yeah that was amazing anyway one thing i wanted to quickly bring up was that how midge was telling shimer about how oh it's gonna reach the point where they get married and then they start having a baby and i'm just like girl you're reading a lot into that aren't you (laughs) her thing on the show she was kind of the town gossip and she would constantly be like i have it from a very reliable source and this is like (laughs) she's basically the people on twitter.com that are like ariana grande is gonna be meg no she's not i think she's a (laughs) <laughs> she's cool, but she ain't Meg. 
So what you're saying is she is a Walt Disney World News Today. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up, there's also a scene where they sing the Boom Diada song. It was so weird hearing that song outside of both that one Discovery promo and Barney. (laughs) No escape! No escape! (laughs) There really isn't, you guys. (laughs) Okay, so do we have any anything else we want to go over, or? Yeah, I guess the most with the townsfolk in mind was what was nice was Shining Time was literally kind of like just a vehicle to get Thomas in the states in a way, but what they did was it wasn't just like okay some crappy little show and then Thomas they had like all these different towns that they would bring up and then like some people that would come from all the different towns as well and it was like you had like again Barton Winslow the town shop like the general store owner and then there was J.B. King the railway superintendent and then Mayor Flopdinger who got his own episode that got some controversy but that's probably another podcast (laughs) I think so yeah I should say one thing that I don't think I said yet. Speaking of, like, Thomas stuff, I have been to a day out with Thomas when that was a thing. Oh, Oh my God, yeah, it still is. But I think... Oh, it still is? Yeah, I think for... But what happened was, you said you went to Edaville, right? Yes, and Edaville... um, I never saw the Thomas land in Edaville because that happened way after I kind of outgrew it. Yeah, that, that was for the 75th anniversary in 2015, so... Yeah, it was in 2015. I remember hearing about it and thinking, oh, that's cool, but I, I gotta see it. <laughs> you should. I I went during its opening season because, I'm not kidding you, they did a Facebook contest where it was like, we want names to the gift shop and the winner will get four tickets. I just enter and I'm like, well, I've never really won anything, so might as well just toss a couple things like uh, Knapford Gift Company because I was like, well, it's Knapford Station and they seem to be arranging these like different towns on Sorter with different areas. Like, they've got Vickerstown, they've got Brendan Docks and stuff. Might as well. I'm on my way to New York for a school trip. I just get my Wi-Fi on the bus. I check my Facebook messages. Congratulations to Milan Persia, who has won four tickets to Edaville. I'm like, no way. <laughs> oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so my, my name of the gift shop is literally just at that park, and I won tickets to there. It was kind of unfinished because what happened was it was when the big Boston snowstorm happened. So delayed construction a lot. But I've seen it after it's finished. And even when it was unfinished, it's amazing. Because they've got the Thomas they used for the day at Thomas still working for it. And then they built a bunch of rides and attractions and stuff. Like there's a candy store and stuff. And it's all stylized like really vintage, like 60s and 70s. And it's got like a monorail based on a track inspection vehicle from the later seasons. There's... A carousel with the narrow gauge engines, and oh, then wow. there's a Cranky the Crane drop tower. I'm not even Ooh. kidding. Okay. And not like a little kid's drop tower. Like, I'm talking like, I think 30 feet is what it is. If that sounds that. fucking badass. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. I just realized you mentioned the fucking like Boston Blizzard of 2015. Yeah. I lived through that. It was not just a Boston Blizzard. We were getting fucking, in 2015 in Massachusetts, we were getting fucking railed by blizzard after blizzard after blizzard. It was like a blizzard every other day. There, I have never seen so much snow in my life and it was awful. It was terrible. I survived it, and I hope I never have to deal with anything like that ever again. I'll come rescue you from Rhode Island. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's time for that specific six-month-old question that we ask ourselves. Do we keep the tapes, or do we burn them? Milan. I definitely say keep the tapes. I don't think this is a burn-worthy thing, because it's like, to me, it's definitely among the weird episodes I've seen. I still haven't seen... 
a lot of episodes, and there's some weird ones in there. Like, there's an episode where, like, gold dust spills into a bunch of drinks that the kids are <laughs> setting up, and I'm gonna let you guys look Google that, because that's something you gotta see to believe. And then Mr. Conductor gets an evil twin in one episode. Two episodes, <laughs> like... actually. <laughs> oh god, it's Alec Baldwin. But even with, like, how weird it is, it's also still kind of, like, it shows what how much fun the show is. Because there is this pleasant, genuine innocence to it. Like, there's obviously some stuff in there, but it's, like, it's the good kind of, like, wholesome. It's not, like, the really fake kind of, like, oh, we're being PC so that we can look PC. But it's, like, it the show, like, between Thomas and Shining Time, it feels genuine in its intentions and being kind of like down to earth and sweet and slice of life. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. This is like the perfect slice of life kind of show. And it's even more perfect as sort of a comfort show for me as it's like a show I can turn on sometimes and just turn my brain off and just have fun with it, I think. So definitely keep the tapes for me. Definitely for me too. I need to see more episodes because I was a big Thomas kid and I definitely did see a good handful of episodes of this growing up, but it's definitely one where I've come to, I say this a lot about shows, but it's definitely one of those shows I've come to really appreciate even more as an adult. Just it, it helped instate a lot of kids love for travel, for trains, and just, it's just such a nice relaxing show and I'm really grateful it exists. And Strongly agreed, yes. And now for the opinion from someone who who just totally went in a Shining Time virgin. This was my first exposure oh, no. to it besides the Magic Railroad. Randy, should I do a drum I'm roll? I'm going to say... I'm going to say keep. Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank you. We don't have to cancel you. It's weird. It's weird, and I there was a lot of stuff that I was questioning, but it just still had such... It was still just so charming. It is... I can't not love it. Oh, Randy, thank God. <laughs> and honestly, this is one of my favorite podcast episodes we've done. This was Me so too. much fun. Oh, my yeah, God. But- and we've done a lot of good ones, too, so that's saying something. It was so great having you on, Milan. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug? Honestly, before I do any plugs, I just want to say... Thank you guys for making this such a fun experience. I've never done a podcast before. I've done goof stuff with friends. Like, I've done something with my friend, Sacred Dragonair. We call it Levels of Hell, where we basically look at really bad Thomas fan stuff. Just goofy, bad, terrible stuff. Like, we did we did a Pooh's Adventures episode, and that's one of the favorite ones oh, we've recorded. No. And that, but... If you like trains, you want to see crossovers that are good, and see a man go, hmm, maybe I can produce an animated series on MMD. This can't go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And somehow succeed. My channel is called the Meal on Tune channel on YouTube, and I do a series called The Railways of Crotonia, which is pretty much, hey, you want to see Thomas meet up with the little engine that could, Casey Jr., and then also maybe a few other people, like, you know, uh, Ariel, Scrooge McDuck, uh, the Mr. Man and the Little Miss, just to name a few. Yeah, we just put them all in there. I don't know how I made it work, but it somehow worked. This was so much fun. Yeah, it was so this great was. to have you on, man. Thank you. Yes. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad we got to be your first podcast experience. Oh, man. Yes. Th- thank you guys so much. Of and course. There was one last thing I was going to plug really quick. Oh, go ahead. So, so I'm the marketing director for something called the Tank Engine Society. We have a website called tankengine We're currently preparing for a huge event in Pennsylvania. We're going to be announcing soon called, like the dates for soon, called the Magic Railway Show. I believe our Twitter is Society Tank, and we're doing stuff like ritual film festivals and stuff. Oh my so if you guys God, want to go check us out and also help out a little bit, we're currently looking at sponsorships and stuff and some other really cool things for the future. So 
please go check that out and support us if you can because we want to do some really cool stuff for train fans everywhere. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> so thank you guys so much again for having me on. I'm, oh, no problem. I, I wouldn't mind doing another episode. Oh, like, we will yes. somewhere down the stuff, line, so. I think. And speaking of society. <laughs> ooh, ooh, oh, my. You can follow me at No Context Harley Quinn. Society! <laughs> or No Context TGIF. You can also follow me on my main account at Cosmic Rewind, but, you know, the E is a three. You you, you know the drill. Yeah, so on so forth. <laughs> Y'all know the drill. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at TylerFG, Instagram at TylerFG96. We also have our channel KRT Twitter, channel underscore KRT. Instagram on channel KRT podcast, all one word. We also have our Discord server and Facebook group that we're going to be plugging weekly now. And you can just find me kicking Schemer's ass and just throwing his body into a dumpster. This is the Milan Tuner returning to his train and cartoon brethren, hoping to live another day without getting judged because I said we shouldn't care about Oliver's CGI model lacking two rivets on his buffer beam. And this is Randy now realizing that they have not made a single joke about the MBTA this entire episode. <laughs> God damn it. I totally forgot. Oh, man. <laughs> but uh, fuck the commuter rail. It's expensive and it takes forever. Yay. And you can find me over at the usual Mission Breakout Twitter, a walking pun Instagram. But to be honest, these days I'm just like, you know, maybe I don't need to be on Twitter that much and neither do you. <laughs> Valid. And then I'm and then I'm on the Milan Tuner at Twitter. You can find me in on Instagram too, but I unfortunately post to Twitter more often. So you can see a lot of shenanigans on there. Typically me hyperfixating over Chuggington, which is actually getting pretty good again. I might be getting some theme park stuff too. And talking trains and cartoons of all kinds. And just silly shenanigans I get up to, so Yay! <laughs> and on that note, Channel KRT cut to static.